this morning we begin looking at the very interesting account of the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. I can remember, even as a small boy, uh, uh, sitting in Bible classes in my hometown, and Sister Eunice Finlayson would tell us about the conversion of Saul of Tarsus and the conversion of the Ethiopian eunuch and other such, uh, which to me were very exciting even at that time and, and very, very interesting. And so we're going to begin looking at this today. It may take a couple of Sundays to, to get through it, uh, but uh, I want us to do that. I thought we might uh, take just a moment to kind of uh, look at, at, at where we're talking about. This is... Uh, a map, I wish we could get it all on there, but uh, in one without having to slide it, but you, you recognize this. This is, this is Judea, this is Samaria, and of course north of there is Galatia. This is Jerusalem, and uh, it was from Jerusalem that, that Saul began his trip to Damascus. Here is Damascus, some 130 to 150 miles north, uh, slightly uh, northeast of uh, Jerusalem, depending upon the, the route that, that, was, that was taken. Right in here would be Caesarea Philippi. Uh, on further north, and I'll show you another map in just a minute, would be uh, Tarsus, where Paul was born and where he lived for some few years. But he began, we'll read today about him getting papers from the chief priests, and he begins this journey from Jerusalem, and he goes up to, uh, to uh, Damascus. And before he reached Damascus, he, he sees the, uh, the, he experiences the bright light, and he hears the voice. Thank you. He hears the voice, and uh, all of that leads to his conversion as his obedience to the gospel, as we'll see. And then, for he stayed in Damascus for some time, some few days, I believe is the expression. Uh, but So we don't know exactly how long. But then he leaves Damascus, and Acts, we don't learn this in the book of Acts. We learn this in, from the book of Galatians. But after his conversion, before going back to Jerusalem, he leaves Damascus and goes into Arabia where he stays, we, we, we learn that some three years elapses from the time he leaves Jerusalem until he returns to Jerusalem after his conversion. So a, a, a big part of that, no doubt, was spent in Arabia. And then he comes back to Damascus and begins speaking and preaching again. And, and as, you'll, we'll, as you recall from your own reading, uh, the, the, the Jews want to kill him, and he's let down in a, a basket uh, over the walls of Damascus, and he escapes uh, to Jerusalem. So he goes back to Jerusalem, and there he, uh, with the aid of Barnabas, he's introduced to the brethren who are, as you would imagine, quite suspicious of him at the beginning. And, uh, and then he, he learns that... Uh, that there's a plot to kill him. And the Lord 
appears to him in a vision and tells him to, to, to leave. But Paul kind of argues with him a little bit. He, he, he puts up, he says, I've done all of these things. They know what I've done. And, and, and so I was one of them. His argument seems to be, at one time I was one of them. And so they'll listen to me. I'll be able, and the Lord didn't argue with him. He said, you leave, you leave, they'll kill you. And so he leaves uh, Jerusalem, he goes over to Caesarea, and then from there he sails to, uh, to uh, uh, Tarsus. This, this is, a, 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 you're higher up in the airplane, now you can see more. And so this, of course, is Jerusalem. This was Damascus. By the way, this is Antioch, where he and Barnabas joined together, you remember, to work together. And then from there, they go out on their missionary journeys here. Here is Cilicia, and here's Tarsus. So when he leaves uh, uh, Jerusalem, he goes over to Caesarea, and no doubt gets a ship and goes uh, up here to Tarsus. Um, uh, re regarding that letting him down, you, you'll recall seeing pictures like this when you were children in small Bible classes. Artist renderings of uh, Saul being let down over the wall. And that's historically accurate. Uh, history tells us that lots of people lived on those outer walls. And, and I, didn't, I couldn't get a picture. This is a more modern picture, so you can see window panes up there, which you wouldn't have had. But this gives you some idea of how some of the homes were built on the wall. And I have read that some of them would actually... Uh, reach out over the wall a little bit. So it's very easy to see how they would uh, have led him down over the wall so that he might uh, escape uh, the city. These are just some pictures that I got off the... Oh, no, that's my dog. <laughs> okay, I guess that's... Uh, all right. Um, so we are um, ready now to begin um, talking about... Uh, Paul's conversion, but a couple of three things before we get to that. One thing we need to know, and, and, and you might want to turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 9 and uh, kind of follow along there, but first of all, I want to make you aware of the fact that beginning with Acts chapter 9, uh, a sudden transition takes place. Um, the, the writing at this point assumes more that of uh, a biography. And by the way, um, the, uh, the, the sacred writers of history, both in the Old Testament and New Testament, uh, spend the greater part of their space uh, uh, on biographies. All you got to do is think, for example, about in the Old Testament book of Genesis, how much space in Genesis is devoted to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the, and the last several chapters to Joseph. So following pretty much one family or one group of people. And, and this is true of, of, of most of the, of all the historical writers of the scriptures. And, and the wisdom of their doing that is borne out in the fact that the mass of people, most of us, remember best those parts of the Bible that are presented, that, that, that are really bi biographies. And, uh, and so it, it's a, I, I, I take it to mean that, that 
Luke was directed by the Holy Spirit to, um, to follow uh, in some detail the events in the life of this Apostle Paul rather than to give numerous detached uh, accounts of all of the apostles. We do learn something about the work of, of uh, Peter and a little bit about Stephen and, 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 and Philip who were not apostles but who, you know, or whose work is chronicled to some degree. But for the most part, the book of Acts deals with the work of... And so what we lose in curiosity, in other words, what we would like to know about the other apostles is more than made up for in the thrilling account of the life and labors of the Apostle Paul. And so we've come now to the time of his, um, his conversion. As we've already stated, uh, uh, everything that's happened in his life up to this point has, has uh, contributed to his being prepared for what is about to happen. It's as though an overruling hand of providence is, has guided the apostle Saul's life from the very beginning. We've already talked about his being born in, in uh, Tarsus and Cilicia in the city of Tarsus, a, a, a Greek city where he learns the Greek language. And just like children of, of immigrants who come to this country at home, they sit around the fireplace and speak they're an ancestral language. But out in the public, among the people, they learn the language of, um, of uh, the our language of, of our country. So that was true. Paul learned not only to read and write uh, the Greek language, but he also come to know something of their culture and the, the philosophies of, the, uh, of these people, and, and he was able to use all of that. And then he goes later to Jerusalem and studies at the feet of Gamaliel. All of those things enter into his education. And, and a, an overruling hand of guidance, as I said, seems to be uh, uh, guiding him to the point that, well, preparing him for a work that neither he nor his parents ever dreamed uh, would would be true for him, and then one other thing, if 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 uh, the things that we usually think about regarding his uh, age are true, and the dates for the events in his life, then it, it's it's highly unlikely that Saul was in Jerusalem when uh, Jesus was there and when he eventually was crucified. In fact it's not likely that he had been in Jerusalem for some years prior to the crucifixion of, of, of Christ. It's generally believed that after some time uh, in, in his schooling there in Jerusalem at the feet of Gamaliel, which, by the way, could have been a long time. If he went there, I've, I have suggested, and I don't know, no one knows for sure, I have suggested that probably he didn't go there until 12 or 13 years of age. But some believe he might have gone there much earlier. But even if he did not go to Jerusalem until 12 or 13 years of age, he could have been there 12, 14, 15 years or so, and still all the time things worked together. And he could have left following that, 
gone back to Tarsus, and then the events happened regarding Jesus' ministry, his crucifixion and the like, and then he returns to Jerusalem after that. And it seems that he had, uh, uh, his, his reputation had not suffered in his absence. When he comes back to Jerusalem, he takes up where he left off, so to speak, and even assumes more of a role of leadership in the persecution of the Jews. We read in chapter 6 of the book of Acts that, that Sicilian, those from uh, 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 Tarsus in that area, were among those who disputed with Stephen. And, and we, we just have to believe that Paul had been among them or involved in that in some way because shortly after that we see Saul, uh, the, the, the clothing of, the, uh, of those who stoned Stephen were cast at his feet. And so he was no doubt uh, uh, involved in all of this. Well, um, uh, not only was he involved in the persecution of, of Stephen, but many, uh, during that time period, many uh, individuals were committed to prison and no doubt met with a fate, the same fate that Stephen met with. He, they were killed. In fact, while Luke himself does not state this, he records it, but doesn't state it, uh, Paul states this when he rehearses his uh, life before King Agrippa. He says, many others were beaten in the synagogue and compelled to blaspheme the name of Jesus, no doubt as a condition of escaping prison or, or, or escaping torment. In other words, you blaspheme the name of Jesus and you'll not be, not be punished. So after the church in, in Jerusalem had been dispersed, pretty much, except for the apostles, uh, no doubt Saul and, and many of the others thought, okay, we've, we've finally stamped out this, this, this heresy. But uh, news soon began to trickle back to the city that those who had been scattered abroad were going everywhere and establishing uh, establishing churches. And so we take up now with uh, uh, Paul getting permission and authorization to go to Damascus. By the way, uh, why did he choose to go to Damascus? Well, the scriptures don't tell us directly. But when we stop to think about the, the, uh, how sensitive the Jewish uh, patriot was in regard to uh, the reputation of his, of his country in a foreign land and, 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 and especially his Jewish religion and the institutions involved in that. Um, and the pride that he had about these, it's, it, we might begin to get an idea of why he chose to go to Damascus. Damascus was an ancient, celebrated city and thousands of Jewish people lived there. And they had quite a bit of influence in that area. So it was an embarrassment enough for Paul to think, or Saul to think about the fact that even in Jerusalem, his religion was suffering because of the uh, actions of these people. But to think about that being spread to other cities was perhaps more than he could bear. And so... Maybe that's the reason he chose this particular city. We don't know, but anyway, he goes to Jerusalem. Now, what I want to do is this.
I have, uh, I hope this will work. I have, you know, the account of, of Saul's conversion is recorded in three places principally in the book of Acts. Chapter 9, chapter 22, where he, chapter 9 is just Luke's historical account of what happened. Chapter 22 is when he meets with, uh, uh, to defend himself before the Jewish authorities. Chapter 26 is when he meets with Agrippa. And so I have uh, attempted to bring these together, collated them, if you were, if you will, uh, so that as we read this, we, we, we read, we can see all three accounts close together at the same time. You see what I'm saying? I thought about printing this at some point and giving it to you, but then I thought, well, we'll just put it on the screen and we'll look at it together this morning. If any of you want it, I'll be glad to send you a, a copy of this. So this is a blending of the passages relating to Saul's conversion from Acts 9, Acts 22, and Acts 26. Also, at the end, we'll, we'll include some verses for, from the book of Galatians chapter 1 because those verses bear upon this as well, okay? So, let's just read this without much comment to begin with, and then we'll go back and begin working through it and, and fleshing it out a little bit where, where there is a need to do that. So, we'll follow now. Uh, Acts 9 is printed in black. Acts 22 in red, and Acts 26 uh, in, in green. But we'll begin with verse 1 of Acts chapter 9. Paul, still breathing, okay, uh, and, but Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. I persecuted this way to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to, to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there, and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. I myself was convinced that I ought to do many things in opposing the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And I did so in Jerusalem. I not only locked up many of the saints in prison after receiving authority from the chief priest, but when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in all the synagogues and tried to make them blaspheme. And in raging fury against them, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In this connection, I journeyed to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priest. Now, as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him, and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. <coughs> but rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. 
The men who were traveling with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus, about noon a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. <coughs> now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Rise, and go unto Damascus, and there it will be told you all that is appointed for you to do. At midday, O king, I saw, I, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, that shone around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we had fallen upon the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and stand upon your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to appoint you as a servant and witness to the things in which you have seen me, and to those in which I will appear to you, delivering you from your people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Saul rose from the ground. And although his eyes were open, he saw nothing. So they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And for three days he was without sight, neither ate nor drank. Now there was a disciple at Damascus named Ananias. The Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, Here I am, Lord. And the Lord said to him, Rise and go to the street called Straight. And at the house of Judas, look for a man of Tarsus named Saul. For behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias coming in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man how much evil he has done to your saints in Jerusalem. And here he has authority from the chief priests to bind all who call on your name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he's a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for the sake of my name. So Ananias departed and entered the house, and laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus, who appeared to you on the road by which you came, has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. 
and immediately something like scales fell from his eyes, and he regained his sight. Then he rose and was baptized, and taking food, he was strengthened. For some days he was with the disciples in Damas- at Damascus, and immediately he proclaimed Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And all who heard him were amazed and said, Is not this the man who made havoc in Jerusalem of those who called upon this name? And has he not come here for this purpose, to bring them bound before the chief priest? And Saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that Jesus was the Christ. And since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand. Uh, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. And one, Ananias, a devout man according to the law, well spoken of by all the Jews who lived there, came to me and standing by me said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very hour, I received my sight and saw him. And he said, The God of our Father appointed you to know his will, to see the righteous one, and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for me to everyone of what you have seen and heard. And now, why do you wait? Arise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. And when many days had passed, uh, now this is that three years that we're talking about, more than quite a few days. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him. So he's, he, he came to Jerusalem, he was, he was baptized, he stayed for a while, he went into Arabia, he's back now in, in Damascus, and uh, he learns that the Jews are plotting to kill him. When many days had passed, the Jews plotted to kill him, but their plot became known to Saul. They were watching the gates day and night in order to kill him. But his disciples took him by night and led him down through an opening in the wall, lowering him in a basket. And when, they had, and when he had come to Jerusalem, he attempted to join the disciples, and they were all afraid of him for they did not believe that he was a disciple. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road he had seen the Lord, who spoke to him and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. So he went in and out among them at Jerusalem, preaching boldly in the name of the Lord, and he spoke and disputed against the Hellenist, but they were seeking to kill him. And when the brothers learned this, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him off to Tarsus. So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria had peace and was being built up. And walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit, it multiplied. When I had returned to Jerusalem, and was praying in the temple. See, he gives us more of the details now. 
when I had returned to Jerusalem and was praying in the temple, I fell into a trance and saw him saying to me, Make haste and get out of Jerusalem quickly, because they will not accept your testimony about me. And I said, Lord, they themselves know that in one synagogue after another I imprisoned and beat those who believed on you. And when the blood of Stephen, your witness, was being shed, I myself was standing by and approving and watching over the garments of those who killed him. As much as to say, given my past history, they'll listen to me. But he said to me, and he said to me, Go, for I will send you far away to the Gentiles. Therefore, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to this heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. And now let's read a few verses from Galatians that uh, adds a little light on, on, on this. But when he who had sent me, uh, 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 but when he who had set me apart before I was born, and who called me by his grace, was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away into Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then, after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and to remain with him and remained with him 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles save James the Lord's brother. In what I am writing to you, before God I do not lie. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy, and they glorified God in me. Um, Okay, you can turn that off up there now if you want to. <laughs> uh, let me get back to my notes here. Okay. To me, it's interesting to see all of that blended together and to, and, and to get the, the flow of it and the little di different pieces that are revealed in, 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 uh, in each account. But he's on his way to Damascus, and he sees the light, and uh, and then these things that we that we've read about uh, began to to uh, transpire. Um, as I think I told you the other day, it probably took him six, five to seven days to make that that trip by foot, and and he sees this light just as he's entering into the city of Damascus. So after so many days of travel, perhaps he's had time to kind of settle down a little bit and his spirit quieten down a little bit. And in some ways, maybe a little more prepared to, 
for what is, uh, for what is to, about to transpire. And, uh, and so as he gets near to the city, at noon, this, this bright light shines round about him. You can imagine how bright the sun is at noon. And especially in this particular area of the world that, in which he was traveling, somewhat deserted, uh, uh, as I said last week, in some ways kind of like West Texas or, or, or beyond, uh, dry, arid, not much vegetation, big sky, big sun, hot. And uh, at that time of day, the light was so intense that, that, that it was greater even than the, noon, than the noonday sun. And it was such that, that he and those who traveled with him fell to the ground. Now, now, now we were first told they fell to the ground, then we, then we were told later that they're standing. But there's no contradiction there. It's easy to understand that in the beginning, they would all fall to the ground. But then, as the voice is, is heard, and it becomes more obvious that this voice is speaking to Paul because they can hear it. Uh, another uh, One verse says they hear the voice, another verse says they don't hear it. The English standard says they don't understand it, and that's, that's, that's the meaning. You know, you can hear something sometimes. You can hear someone talking, but because they're at a distance from you or they're not talking, a number of reasons why you can hear, you know they're, they're talking, but you don't understand. You hear, but you don't hear. You hear, but you don't understand. So they fell to the earth. Uh, at some point after that, as the conversation uh, began to take place, uh, they apparently arose and, and maybe even backed off a little bit, and they're standing at a distance observing and hearing, but not, uh, but not at all understanding. Um, and the question that was asked him that contained this simple word, uh, persecute, carried his mind forward immediately to Damascus and the work that he had planned to do there and no doubt carried his mind back as well to Jerusalem to, and, and the work that he had done there. Persecute me. Why have you persecuted me? Why are you persecuting me? And then there, there's a significant statement here that we must not overlook. He said, it's hard for you to kick against the goad. You remember we said that when Saul stood by and, and observed and took part in the, in the uh, stoning of Stephen, and took part in the sense that he watched over the garments of those who were casting the stone. Those who cast the first stones by law, Deuteronomy 17, those who had made the accusations were required to cast the first stone. And so these people laid their clothing at his feet. He's very much involved in that. And he heard Stephen when in the spirit of Christ he said, Lord Jesus, lay not this sin to their charge. And I raised the question, did not, did, didn't Saul have some misgivings? How could you be a witness to something like that and not have some misgivings about what you were doing? But there's nothing to indicate at that particular time that he had any misgivings. So we suggested that he just, as we sometimes say, double down, so to speak. If he had any, he just kind of 
overrode those feelings with increased zeal and determination to stamp these out. And now the Lord makes a statement that indicates to us that he had indeed, it's hard for you to kick against the, the gold, isn't it? You've been kicking against the gold. Like the imagery there is of they use oxen and, and uh, they would take a gold and, 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 and gold the oxen to, to, to make it go or make it keep going. And an old oxen, uh, I, I've, I grew up on the farm, you know, and you try to get a cow to go somewhere from this paddock into another paddock and you punch them with a stick and if you're not careful, what are they going to do? They kick out at you. And uh, not wanting to go in the direction you're trying to get them to go, you've been being goaded, but you've kicked against it. Even though he had done it ignorantly and in unbelief, Nonetheless, apparently there had been some misgivings. And so he said, it's hard for you, isn't it, to kick against the gold. Um, and with his conscience now aroused as it was, uh, and he knew full well um, that the, the vision that he was seeing was uh, from heaven. But he cannot fully comprehend it at this time because he doesn't know who it is that's speaking. And so he naturally uh, asked the question, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I'm Jesus, whom you persecute. I've tried, I don't think we can, but I've tried to put myself into Saul's position at that time. You and I, most of us, from early childhood, have known about the Christ. The glory, the beauty that is His. We've never had, most of us, any serious doubts or questions at all about that. Times maybe we've been concerned that we haven't been as devoted or are surrendered perhaps as we should, but we've always known about and believed in the Christ. Here is one who has persecuted him, the Lord in, 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 in persecuting his disciples. He thought him to be an apostle. Uh, uh, to be an apostle. Uh, what am I trying to say? Uh, he, he thought that he would, the words are not coming to me. Well, no, he thought him to be an imposter. That's the word I'm looking at. That he thought that he, he didn't think he was who he claimed to be. He thought his disciples were worthy of death. And so he sought them out. He imprisoned them. He, he consented to their death. Many had been imprisoned. Homes had been broken up. People had been put to death because of, and all of a sudden, instantly, instantly, he cannot doubt what's happening. He knows that this is from heaven. And he's not only hearing the voice, he sees. He says in 1 Corinthians 15 and 8, He appeared unto me last of all. He sees the Christ. He hears his voice instantly. He knows that he has been persecuting 
the disciples of the Son of God. Stephen was a martyr. He was a saint. Um, what have I done? You know, tell him what he thought about. Just, you know, we talk about how your life flashes before you in an instant when you're about, I'm sure something similar to that was happening to Paul instantly. He knew the error of his way. And when finally he arises from the ground, the light goes away, but he can't see. He can't see. But I'm going to tell you something. The pain associated with his blindness was nothing compared with the pain he must have felt in his heart and soul and mind. And it's no, no wonder that he goes on into the city being led by those who are with him. He goes into the city and for three days he doesn't eat, he doesn't drink, but he's praying. Probably even then he's wondering, but, but how can I be forgiven after what I've done? He's prostrate, he's praying, he's in anguish, he's in agony. He's seen the Lord. And we're going to see as we continue to study. I mean, this is a turnaround. You talk about a turnaround. It's like a it's like a river flowing in a deep channel and all of a sudden, for some unexplained reason, except in his case there was a, a reason, it just reverses its course and goes in a different direction. For the rest of his life, he'll be a totally, totally different person. And Christ will become his reason for living, his purpose in life, completely devoted to him. He'll say such things as, by the grace of God, I am what I am. He'll say, as he did in Philippians, for to me, to live is Christ. In Galatians, he'll say, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And he'll also say as he thinks back on that former life, I'm the chief of sinners and not worthy to be called an apostle. This is Saul who will become the apostle. Okay. Thank you. We'll take up here. I'll have to be out of town next week. Sam's going to teach us. But we'll take up here and, and go further when I'm, when I'm able to come back. Thank you.